Oh, there we go. I think we're live. I think we're recording. Um, welcome, everybody, to another episode of News on China, episode eight, Back to the Future. <laughs> <laughs> long time ago. I actually held I my breath wondering what you'd say. It's been so long. <laughs> yes. I didn't. I didn't know. I, I, that was like a really last minute thing. So if, 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 if some of you are joining us for the first time, we do a we usually do a weekly uh, news on China uh, episode here where we go through some of the headlines in China with Dongsheng News um, with uh, Tings Marco. And the last part of it, news on China, back to the future for this episode. We always end up changing. I don't know how we got into this habit, but one of these days we're going to have to just settle on something because we're going to run out of ideas. But back to the future. Uh, it's like a mix of past and present and future because we haven't done an episode in a while. I was obviously in Xinjiang. Um, I'm still doing a bunch more uh, of my videos. I haven't finished all my videos um, on that. But um, yeah, no, it's good to finally do this again because I always look forward to this. How, how, how have you guys been? Great, huh? Been pretty good. Yeah. I mean, happy Shanghai yeah. is coming up. It is. Took a few days off during the May 1st holidays. So I think we're pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. You went down to uh, just in Guangdong, just uh, southern Guangdong there. Yeah, that's I right. was there a little while ago too. That's a really nice spot. Uh, what's the name of it? The the island? The Hailing Island. Hailing yeah. Island, yeah. Yeah, I was on the Hailing Island and then uh, and then just south of there as well. It's really nice. But yeah, no, so we're gonna we're gonna jump into the news again. But I'm gonna do something a little bit different in this episode where I, I'm gonna introduce like we always talk about your stuff. You guys always get all the attention. And uh <laughs> so I, I wanna introduce something just before your 60 second video that I'd like to talk about. And it ties into something that we've always been speaking about for a while, which is uh, China's kind of space program and stuff like that. Yeah. Because I was fascinated by the the difference in coverage compared to falling Chinese rocket parts compared to American falling rocket parts. You know, it was like, you know, with some of the headlines and the titles, like you'd think it was Armageddon or like some sort of a meteorite was going to extinct us like the dinosaurs or something like that, uh, based on how some of the coverage was going. And it's really interesting because when you look back at it compared to, um, you know, parts from SpaceX rockets falling down. It's more like, you know, you look at the headlines and it's like, oh, there's a beautiful uh, show you can see in the sky tonight. Those weren't falling stars. Those were SpaceX rocket parts. And then, <laughs> and then, and then, and then you had a piece that, uh, uh, a SpaceX rocket part that fell into somebody's uh, uh, backyard in Washington state. And it was more like, it, it wasn't like, oh my God, this could have hit somebody. It was more like, well, would you look at that? I got a SpaceX part in my backyard, and it's pretty cool. I'm gonna, <laughs> I, I'm gonna make something out of this. This is some pretty good quality steel here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the difference was totally, and, and the Chinese rocket part ended up landing in the Indian Ocean um, when it was all said and done. But it sparked all of this conversation, like you know. Like, what are we going to do about space junk? Because this is a really big problem. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, this one obviously isn't a problem because it fell out of the sky. But, you know, why are you only having this conversation now? Space junk has been a problem long before China had any sort of a significant space program. And it's like, oh, this this thing that they launched, they're building their own space station. What are we going to do about it? I, I don't know, maybe go back into the past and not block China from cooperating on your space station so that they don't have to build their own one. I, just an idea. Maybe that's how we could tie this into the Back to the Future title here. 
But, uh, <laughs> but I think it's too late. China has better friends. The Russians are much better friends than China. So now they don't have this problem anymore. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it was crazy. I mean, were you were you guys following that? Were you seeing that that coverage and how bizarre it was? I saw a little bit, a bit of your tweeters too, and uh, tweets. And um, I saw one, there was like a thread, like making jokes, like, oh, um something like about oh what about the bombing in the the chinese embassy oh, in belgrade yeah, that was mine like, yeah 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 so so so, oh, so yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah yeah that is mine so let me let me share those actually i can share yeah, those please. um exactly. so those are yeah so now this is we usually like to keep things light here and uh but this is going to be a bit heavy we'll try to we'll try to bring it back we'll try to bring it back because this is some heavy stuff i'm going to be sharing and I want to answer a question because I, I, a lot of people ask me, why do I talk about so, so much about America? You know, it's almost like a whataboutism to China. But the first whataboutism happens when America is pointing to China's issues, uh, which are which is based on speculation and really shoddy evidence when all of the things that they're accusing China of, they're actually doing. So this is a really important uh, piece of uh, perspective here, because when you think about it, the U.S. is spending hundreds of millions of dollars to paint an image that China has a prison population as bad as the U.S., and that it commits crimes as bad as, uh, you know, the U.S. did in Gitmo and Abu Ghraib just to try to convince you to not work with China. So what they're actually doing is they're inadvertently um, convincing, they're in inadvertently making a case as to why you shouldn't work with the U.S. either. Because while they're speculating about this stuff in China and trying to push China back down when they're doing all of these amazing things, uh, they're saying that you shouldn't work with China because they're doing all... We're, we think they're doing all of the same things that we do. And that's a really, really important piece of perspective. So that's what that's what sparked this um, set of tweets, this series of tweets uh, designed to reflect on the coverage of the rocket. Um, mm -hmm. So I'll start with the first one. It, it, actually, the first one isn't mine. It was somebody else. And that's how I got the idea. I saw his tweet and I'm like, you know, this is a really interesting idea. This is a really interesting perspective. So what he said is breaking, falling Chinese rocket kills <laughs> one million Iraqis. <laughs> and then he says, you know, oh, sorry. You know, yeah, the Chinese rocket didn't kill one million Iraqis. That would be American rockets and bombs and bullets. You know the list. So I saw this and I'm like, at first, I just retweeted it. I'm like, you know, this is really interesting. This concept is really interesting. So I created a series of it where I kept, I retweeted it and then kept retweeting myself. So the first one I, I, I put out was um, breaking. Falling Chinese rocket hits wedding party in Afghanistan, killing 40 civilians, mostly women and children. And my follow-up tweet underneath it, just like his, just like how he had a follow-up tweet was, um, uh, where is oh I, I i clipped this wrong but yeah it says oh uh, wait never mind that didn't happen either the, actually the rocket that hit the wedding party uh didn't get as much coverage so memory is a bit foggy on the incident that was of course uh american an american drone strike that hit um yeah then we have uh oh there we go that's the correct one there so I, I did that wrong, yeah. Then the, the next tweet is uh, breaking. Falling Chinese rocket hits Sudanese medical factory, wiping out the region's only producer of TB medicines, delivering a crippling blow to a country already suffering under brutal sanctions. Then the follow-up tweet is, uh, oh, wait, sorry, no, that was a different rocket also. Uh, that was uh, Bill Clinton, what they still refer to today as uh, his act of terrorism. Um, where they they basically destroyed their their medical products there, and they had no other options. Uh, they're 
people who died from that. Then I retweeted that and said, breaking, falling Chinese rocket lands in Laos only to explode later and kill or injure 20,000 people, many of them children. The follow-up is, oh, damn it, not a Chinese unexploded ordinance issue either. This is uh, about U.S. unexploded ordinances, which still continue to kill people today, which is an interesting thing to mention because, they, you know, if they care so much about human rights and, um, you know, life and liberty and all this stuff, they would send people into Laos and just fix this problem once and for all and go through and clean up some of their products there that are still killing people. Um, and instead... There's an interesting story behind that where it was actually some British NGOs that went in to clear those things up. Um, and they asked the U.S. for the schematics so that they could safely uh, disarm them. And for the longest time, for many, many years, the U.S. refused to give it to them, saying it was classified information. So they're not cleaning it up themselves. They're letting some other people from some other country go in to clean it up. And they're allowing them to risk their lives uh, to clean up the U.S.'s mess. Uh, it's, it's a quite an incredible story. Then I retweet that and I say, uh, breaking, falling Chinese rocket lands on American embassy in Belgrade, killing three journalists. And the follow-up is, sorry guys, another false alarm. It wasn't the US embassy or a Chinese rocket. My memory gets a bit fuzzy with some of these more obscure events that get swept under the rug. So of course that was the US bombing of the Chinese embassy in Belgrade. If that did happen in reverse though, <laughs> you imagine what would have happened. Um, and then the final one was, um, it would be World War final, Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 The III. final one here was, uh, breaking final falling Chinese rocket lands in Vietnam and is spreading radiation from cosmic rays collected while in orbit. The fallout is expected to create 17 generations of birth defects over large parts of the population. And China refuses to pay any compensation. And then of course the follow-up is that for that is, ah, oh, Jesus. This is incredibly embarrassing. I did it again. I'm terribly sorry, guys. It's just that when I vaguely remember these obscure stories, I automatically think it must have been China. After all, I've heard they're the world's, the, the biggest threat to our rules-based order and world. Um, so it's, it's you know, it's somebody somebody's going to accuse that of being whataboutism, of course, but I'm comparing literally a Chinese rocket part that fell in the Indian Ocean to a lot of these other swept under the rug market uh, 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 stories uh, which should deserve far much more attention. Um, and I, I was thinking of doing a follow-up today because obviously we can see what's happening in uh, Israel and Palestine right now with other US-funded rockets falling on Gaza. You know, I just watched a tragic story of a guy who lost his four kids um, uh, in this un incredibly uneven conflict that came after a bunch of evictions. Um and then you look at the U.S. like the U.S. Man, I really thought they they cared. I mean, based on how they were speaking about Xinjiang, I really thought they cared so much about Muslims. They're really quiet on this one, saying that while we think that any state uh, has the right to self defense, and then there was a journalist who said, "Well, but that's problematic, isn't it? Because do you recognize Palestine as a state?" And he's like, well, you know, I don't want to get into legalities here. All of a sudden, they're going soft on us <laughs> with their narrative. I mean, it's pretty incredible. I don't know if you guys have been, I mean, I know you focus a bit more on China's stories, but I don't know if you guys have been following this at all. Absolutely. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Very close, actually. Yeah. I mean, I have friends in the region too. It's, I mean, it's really, it's really terrible. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been trying to speak. I've been trying to speak to people on both sides of the fence. Um, I obviously follow a lot of people who um, empathize uh, with the with the Palestinian side, as I think they should. Uh, I am too. But I also spoke to people who were um, uh, ex-Israeli soldiers who say that the you know 
I know like a lot of people say that they really uh, crap on this explanation, which is, well, it's complicated. And, you know, it, it's like, that's kind of a, it's kind of a cop out in some ways, but from the perspective of a soldier, there really are soldiers who are just caught in the middle of this um, in terms of being uh, just an instrument of a larger problem that their state is putting them into. Like a, a lot of these people don't want to be doing this, but it's uh, it, it's yeah. just a, a situation that they've designed, which is terrible. But anyways, you know what? I, I think, like I said, this is going to be, this was heavy stuff. It's going to be hard to move back to a more lighthearted episode, but uh, <laughs> after this, but I think if we play your video, which is always more upbeat, <laughs> we can reset our tone back to a little bit more. Of a, well, I mean, one thing <laughs> is that we'll, we'll touch on it in a bit in the stories. It's linked to kind of what you're talking about, this whole question of rule-based okay. order and what, what who is really the bigger threat to, you know, the, the, the sovereignty of nations and world peace and, and, and I mean, democracy. So we'll touch on that yeah. as well. So it links quite nicely back to what we'll yeah no that, that that's that's really good too I, i'm probably gonna uh, for people who are watching this on youtube uh where i'm probably gonna pop a link in the description that is from a, a guy who really does a great explanation as to why the u.s specifically uses the rules-based order language and they try with all their might to avoid saying international law because they know that if they follow international law they're going to be in a lot of trouble they're going to be in a lot. Of, this is exactly why they don't want the international criminal courts to investigate what they did in Afghanistan. This is exactly why they criticized them for wanting to look into the Palestinian issue. A rules based order is like a teacher setting, putting out a set of rules for other people to follow. It's more obscure. Um, and I, I don't know if, if you're going to touch on that, but we'll, 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 we'll come back to that. Topic. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so for now, what I'll do is I will play your video, which I think is episode 40 on your side. Um, it's 50. a 60 second clip. Oh, 50, 50. Okay. Oh, wow. That's weird. Yeah. Okay. So 50 episode 50. Um, it's just uh, for people who are listening on the podcast format, because I think this is the first news on China episode. We'll, we'll convert over to a podcast format as well. Hang tight for 60 seconds. And we'll talk to you in a sec for everybody else on YouTube. Uh, take a look at this video and we will also see you in 60 seconds. That is indeed a great video to reset the mood with. And <laughs> from here, I'll pass it over to you. What's the uh, first story you'd like to speak about? Well, let's talk about uh, also hard issue, but with some hope uh, for the future. So one of the most present futures of urban life in China, as you know, are the delivery workers. They are all around the cities. 
it's i mean right now from here from the window of the apartment i can see one h1 guy coming it's really is there i mean I mean, they're always like Meituan is always in yeah, yellow. Yeah, the yellow ones. Yeah, and, and the Ulema, the blue ones. <laughs> yeah. So um, this week or two weeks ago, actually, something really crazy happened. I'm still trying to understand what, what was that uh, about. But uh, Beijing's deputy labor secretary uh, disguised himself as a Meituan delivery man and earned six dollars. In 12 hours, it was 41 UN, and post a video that became like super viral. Um, he was actually what it was about the video actually. I mean, the it was actually part of a documentary yeah. that that the the municipal department of Beijing they they came out with. So it was in the lead up because it was just the May holiday we were just talking about. So the International Workers Day is actually the May first. Uh, just one thing, remember Meituan, it's one more big deck. Uh, it's actually from uh, Tencent, right? Uh, it's being investigated, it's like under probe, like Alibaba. We also talked about this a few weeks ago. So um, Chinese government is actually like uh, going after all the big techs for uh, monopoly practices and and like. Yeah, I, I want to add something. I want to add something yeah. here because actually, after the Alibaba story, I was actually thinking about Meituan. Because mm -hmm. as you guys know, we uh, I, I have a brew pub. Of course, you know, we've had so many beers together there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Always. But yeah, so yeah, <laughs> there we go. So, I, I mean, we do delivery with Meituan, but to access certain packages and access certain prices, you have to agree to only use their platform. Yes. And you mm -hmm. can't use... Yeah. I hope, right. I, I hope, I hope, I hope we're not going to get kicked off of their platform for me uh, saying this, but yeah. And I was like, I think that this is probably something that's going to happen to them also. And then here we are, but the story of this Meituan with the, with the government work and everything like that is, is so much more interesting as well. So sorry, I'll let you continue. I just wanted to add that. No, no, it's true. I mean, this is one of the issues. One of the key issues is exactly what they call the picking one of the sides because everybody mm -hmm. does that. And this is not allowed by law and China is going after this. But mm -hmm. what about the video? Video is an amazing story. So it was um, this, Mark already mentioned, like a, a deputy labor secretary. Um, and what he did was he sort of just dressed up like a, a worker, a delivery worker, went along with another Meituan delivery worker uh, and worked for a day. It's just a day in the life of what it looks like. I mean, it's kind of unusual when you think about it to have like an official actually go in, let's see what the worker conditions are and I'm gonna work as a disguised worker. So what he did, it was, um, he was he had a goal to make 100 yuan in the day. Um, and you know, he, you follow him, he gets lost, he can't run fast enough, because that's one of the things like we see all the time here yeah. is that there are always delivery workers running and you start to ask why are they always running, sweating, stressing? So he's doing that. At one point, he has a delivery where he's late for 20 minutes. And for that, he he actually gets a 60% fine. Um, so at the end of the day, he makes all of 60, 61 yuan for 12 hours of work. 41. 41. And so the the most uh, like mo mostly watched part of the, the segment was actually the Secretary Wang. He was sitting exhausted at 9 p.m. when his shift ended on the curb. And he said some really important words, you know, uh, he said, um, this money is just too hard to earn. And he said that he felt humiliated in the process of the day working. 
And but the thing is, what this um, it's, uh, what this had the repercussion or the consequence of this is that huge amounts of views online. I mean, just the day after it was posted, they got half a billion views and thirty four thousand comments. And some of the comments are really striking um, about you know how, what people felt about uh, the situation. It said, um, you know, office. People making policies, they don't really understand the risks that people take if they're just sitting in the offices. You know, we and we hope that others um, will follow the deputy director's, you know, example. And another person said, it says, only if you come from, from the masses or, or are in touch with the masses can you uncover problems. So um, so this was this was posted online. And one of the responses actually that came is that Ulama and, and Meituan have also said that they're not going to charge uh, fines for delayed deliveries anymore because that's one of the big things. Why did he end up making only 41 yuan, not his 100 goal, is because he actually got fined so much for being late and, and not arriving on time even though he, he basically worked his ass off. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that word here. Um, so very interesting kind of, I don't know, approach to public yeah, policy. This this is, I really hope they do this more because I mean, they do, I mean, everywhere else in their policy making, it does show that there is a care for the bottom kind of 50% or whatever it is to try to lift them up. So it only makes sense to do stuff like this. And you know, it, during the pandemic, these Meituan driver, the drivers, delivery guys, they were like celebrated as heroes. There was artwork made about them and stuff like that. And I, I was thinking, I was worried that are we just going to forget about them afterwards and be like, okay, yeah, thanks for your help, but yeah, that was you know the, the pandemic's over now. Um, hurry no, up, deliver true. me my, I mean, deliver me my fried rice. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. But um, and and here uh, there's less constraints to do such a thing. At least this is my theory. I may be a little bit off base here, but uh, I'm going to put my theory out there. Whereas in a lot of Western countries where uh, becoming an elected official is so, um, you know, lobbying is such an essential part of that. Fundraising is such an essential part of that, that uh, if you did too much of that, sometimes your corporate sponsors might have a, an issue with it. They'd be like, well, well hold, hold on a second. You know, we're, we're the ones funding you here. You know, I mean, that might be a little bit of a pessimistic view here, but no, largely I mean speaking... Yeah, largely speaking, lobby that there isn't the same kind of lobbying problem here, at least anymore. Um, so, with the freedom to do this, I really hope that they start doing more of it. No, I mean that was that was brilliant. Imagine like uh, so, Mate One was already under pro. That is the investigation is going on, and then official from Beijing does go this post in social media, and this is like five hundred million views, and and people are like shocked. So, I mean. I I imagine for the workers, uh, delivery workers, they're like, okay, somebody is is doing something and and denouncing. It is not that this is the first time. Actually, if you go to the Chinese media in the last year, there was lots of uh, articles and uh, uh, stories about that. So it's an ongoing problem. Uh, but finally, now looks like something's happening. Just for instance, for you. Uh, uh, you mentioned like the the pandemic like last year 2020 there was almost two million new delivery workers because many of them also came with the pandemic because right after the pandemic the business the services were still not doing great restaurants was closed all this kind of stuff so they went uh uh try to do something try to make some money but one thing it's important which is it's actually this is uh, this is all around the world this is how uh these platforms works and this is one of the most 
uh, I would say, the most terrible things and, and hard for the workers because it's a sort of like dictatorship of the algorithms. Uh, this is all about algorithms. For In case of MH1, for instance, since 2015, they don't have people mediating uh, the systems. It's just a computer, just uh, artificial intelligence and algorithms saying how many minutes you have to get this food in uh, in that place. Sometimes it's just impossible. Sometimes even the guy, he said that there was one of the one of the uh, delivers was just like oh he was saying like twenty four minutes, but took almost one hour. The GPS was wrong, or the Beidou, I don't know, the navigation systems was wrong. So this is the kind of thing that's happening, and and because of that, it's crazy how much they rush and how much troubles and accidents this causes in in big cities. It it it, it really is hurtful to see, also, because I've seen I've seen before where you see the look on some of these guys' faces while they're running to their yeah. next location, yeah, yeah, and exactly. you just look at them and you just feel really sorry for them. You're like, oh my god. Exactly. I mean, this is a good warning too. Like we're going to move towards an AI world. Like th th these are the lessons we need to learn to build in some sort of a human component, whatever. Okay, we're going to use AI, but at least build in some sort of a humanistic component to it because this will just drive people to the bottom. You know, I know I know somebody who worked, um, I, I knew him for, I, I, I was friends with his father. I knew him since he was in high school, it was like 12 years ago. And he was just a terrible, he's lazy. He's a, a lazy, you know, guy. He didn't finish high school. His, you can imagine how disappointed his father is. His father owns a very tiny little hole in the wall kind of convenience shop and was hoping that his, his kids, he's got two sons, would do better than him. So very disappointed that he didn't finish high school. But he started doing, you know, Meituan deliveries. He didn't last long. He just decided, no, I'm going to, he became a cook in a restaurant because this is not, this is not for people. I mean, I, I'm friends with this guy. I don't, I, I'm not, nobody's going to know who he is, uh, you know, but he's lazy. He's a lazy dude. And the guys who work for Meituan and survive and continue working for them, they are not lazy. They are some of the hardest working people you will find. And, um, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy about this story for that reason. I mean, just a little anecdote. I mean, and in, because in the, there's a actual longer documentary is 30 minutes long, um, but in terms of that human side, is uh, well, one of the the, the driver that the uh, that Mr. Wang was following the whole day, teaching him the ropes. You know, he taught him how to like nap on his bike. You know, how he can take a little rest, and and at the end of it, he actually goes to his house and cooks him a dinner with his wife in a very very humble house. And just talking about, you know, what what is the earning money for? How do they actually live? And it gave it really quite a human, you know, um, view. It's like not only uh, has he a lot of respect for the work of delivery workers, but as actually going to their houses and talking about, you know, just what does life look like? So, so I would, uh, well, we can also link it the, for anyone who wants is to this, watch Is it. this only on like kind of uh, the Chinese internet or did they put this out on any sort of foreign uh, platforms? I think just in, I think in Chinese, Chinese, yeah, Chinese. You know, this is this this is the kind of thing that China needs to be putting out. Also, you know, the the stuff that they you know put out into the West is overly optimistic and overly positive and overly saying, "No, there's no problems here. Everything's going fine. We're doing well." But th this human side saying, "No, there there are issues. We're trying to fix them, but there are issues. There are serious issues we need to fix." Is 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 so much more easy to connect with. Um, in terms of uh, showing foreigners the real China um, instead of just trying to pretend like everything's perfect. And they don't try to pretend like anything's perfect internally. So why not just you know, uh, 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 transpose some of that honesty out into your foreign media content as well? 
Um, but yeah, yeah so, so so the link the link that you're going to share does it have uh, English subtitles at least on the? No, um, but we can have a we can have a look to see if there's anything. I doubt there is though. I gotta get I gotta get somebody to English subtitle this stuff, and uh, I, I gotta I gotta great. talk to somebody about. That would be actually great. That would be actually great. Yeah, I mean, but just coming back to meet one uh, thing is that I mean the other side is their side is is the side of of the big the big tech company. Um, they made like I mean their profits is just going on and on and just increasing a lot. Uh, they had I mean last year, uh, twenty sorry twenty nineteen, they had three hundred thirty million UN uh, profit. Like this is net profit. Last year, they more than doubled their profit, 768.5 million UN, which is almost like $118 million net profit. And, and the, the thing is that, what is this, the, the secret? The secret is squeezing the workers because guess what? They pay $5.9 billion uh, in wages. But this is 74.8% of their, of their uh, uh, costs. So this is the the secret the secret sauce of this guy well, I, I tell you i'll tell you i'll tell you another secret sauce at least in the beginning is squeezing the restaurants also because oh, yeah, before yeah. there was we're, any we're before there, before there was any real competition we were paying if i remember correctly we were paying like 20 percent of our order to mm -hmm. uh Meituan. like 20 yeah. if somebody ordered some beer or takeaway beer and stuff like that through the Meituan app and some food 20 percent uh just for for the and, and and when you yeah when you look at the 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 size of the bill and some of these things, for sure that 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 delivery guy is getting such a tiny percentage of that. It is, um, and and, and uh, the the other big problem is that they are not even employees of Meituan. Meituan actually hires a third party company. Uh, his uh, big part is his, his name is Chu Huo, uh, and they actually hire the workers. But of course, they don't have rights. They don't have anything. Um, so, I mean, this is a big problem right now all over the world. I mean, Uber is the same in, yeah, in the gig, what do they call it? The gig industry or something like that? The or the, yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, it's time to do something. And, and, uh, I think what was interesting this, this week, this last two weeks and, and actually the whole, uh, um, uh, the thing that the Chinese government is doing with big tech is, 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 is talking about that. I mean, President Xi actually made a speech like two weeks ago, and he was actually highlighting these issues like delivery workers, couriers, and truck drivers to say, we have to take care of these people because they are not being paid well, and, and the conditions of work are just getting worse. Even like lot, lots of workers saying that at the beginning, this happened the same in Uber, I follow a lot in, in, in Brazil and other countries. When they start, they give you lots of bonus. So they attract a lot of people to work for them. And then they become a monopoly. And then what they say, guess what? No more bonus. Now you have to work right. instead of work eight hours. I have to work 12, 14, six hours to get the same amount of money. So this is what's going on. And I just hope this video helps and the investigations uh, change something because this is really a, 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 a hard situation for these people that are, I mean, all of us, we depend of the, of. Everything is online. Oh, yeah. the, 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 you're talking about the truck drivers, the delivery drivers, the 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 food delivery guys. Uh, it's now such an important part of the fabric of the entire economy and our our lives. 
Um, and restaurants. <laughs> and restaurants. Yeah, you know, uh, exactly. And, yeah. and yeah, pubs and everything. <laughs> yeah. And brew, brew pubs. I hope, brew you know, pubs. the one thing I, the, the one thing I hope is that I hope, I hope I don't have any uh, Maytuan uh, corporate management fans on my channel who's going to see this video <laughs> and they're going to be like, all right, now you're off our platform. Because, <laughs> you know, what, actually in the beginning, especially when there wasn't much competition and Maytuan was the big guy. You just got to play, even as a restaurant, you just got to play ball. They're like, this is this, these are our conditions. And it's like, well, what other, what other choice do we have? Um, you know, all, all, and, and, and it, it affects the entire economy because all of the other restaurants are playing ball. You know, they're going to make this an important part of their business. Uh, landlords are going to end up increasing the rent knowing that, you know, okay, the, the, the restaurant industry is doing well because of this new component as well. I mean, it creates a whole thing where it can really, you've really got to keep a close eye on it to make sure that the concentration of power and wealth doesn't go too far towards one side. And I feel like that's what we're seeing happening with the focusing on the workers. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's that's the thing. I mean, I mean, they they total revenue last year was 18 billion dollars. I mean, mm. come on, share a little bit of that with the workers, with the restaurant owners. So um, and, 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 and so one thing to anybody who may be not empathizing with a restaurant owner, you know, like, oh, what, what, how, what right does this guy have? He's a restaurant owner. I tell you, like most people through the pandemic. So while Maytuan was just thriving and their revenue went through the roof. So many of us closed. So many of us closed yeah. down. We continued mm -hmm. to pay our workers while they were, you know, in their hometowns waiting this out. Uh, a lot of places paid a reduced salary, but we still were paying uh, to keep them going. Um, you know, we got some relief on uh, rent. Some of us got some relief on rent, but it was it was a hard. You know, people who people who uh, still managed to survive. A lot of them had to put more money into the company and stuff like that. So it was it was a tough time, but. Maytuan, I mean, they've got a pretty good business model <laughs> for, you know, I mean, you saw that you saw the same thing in the US, right? It was like there was a certain select few group of people that became far more rich during the pandemic. Amazon, uh, there were, there were, Amazon is just yeah, like... the whole the whole structure of the system uh, mm -hmm. allowed that to happen. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see that the structure of this is is being uh, scrutinized to uh, to a certain degree. But um, yeah, so did you have more on this topic or do you want to move to the uh, the next one? Next yeah, one. we can move on to the next one. Okay. All right. Cool. So All right. the next one was also in the video, uh, the second one that you showed. So uh, interesting. It's an article that uh, came out in the Washington Post. Um, famous friends of China. Um, and so they, they posted an article called, Did the Pandemic Shake Chinese Citizens' Trust in the Government? And well, it comes in the context of, as we know, especially in the Global North, the, um, there has been increasing negative views about China um, and has worsened after the pandemic. And we also know that these Global North countries generally control the global narrative around China or the understanding around China. So this article is going into what do that Chinese people actually think? So uh, it was actually led, uh, a, a research study was led by York University professor, so not far from where both Daniel, you and I grew up in. Um, and it happened right after the reopening of Wuhan last April, back in last April. And Kerry Wu, who is a professor, he led a team uh, to survey nearly 20,000 people across um, all the provinces and, and regions um, and with a good sample size, you know, that represent is representative sample size. It was a pretty innovative approach. 
Um, he uh, actually, because you can't do in-person surveys with the pandemic and everything, actually recruited a bunch of hundreds of university students around China to do online one-on-one -on -one interviews. We know that surveys with one-on-one, -on -one, you know, produce results um, that are way more accurate. So what did they find? They wanted to find out what was the public support um, for, for the Chinese government, specifically uh, uh, the response to the, um, the pandemic. So the public support is at an all-time high, 98% for the national level government. And then it drops a bit down to 91% at the township level, which is pretty common here in China that there's a sort of hierarchical level of trust, um, preferring the national level over the local. Um, and another thing is that almost half of those respondents said that they got more trusting of the government because of the um, of the response, how they responded to the pandemic, and one percent expressed cynicism. So, you know, it's interesting to see how the institutional trust also links to how well they performed, and we already know that by this time, um, mm -hmm. uh, and why the pandemic response was more effective and also more accepted by the people themselves. So quite interesting that Washington Post posts something like this, and we'll get back to why we think that is. Um, but it's also yeah. nothing new. Right? No. Yeah. Well, you know, for us living in China, I mean, this isn't a very difficult thing to believe when you're talking to people on the ground. You know, so, I mean, when you see people overseas saying, oh, you know, the Chinese people want us to help liberate them um, while they're suffering incredibly, you know, infrastructure from the pandemic and everything like that. And they're still saying, like, oh, we need to save these people. It's like, you know, may, may, maybe maybe China can save you somehow, <laughs> you know, especially if you especially if you look at maybe some of the methods and some of the things they use. You don't have to copy China's model, but um, it's really a pity that people don't look at this in an honest way and say they have they have a 98 percent approval rating. which yeah. Once again, for us on the ground, it's very easy for us to believe what is it they're doing right. I, I'm not saying don't find the things that they're doing wrong. I'm not saying don't criticize, but at least, you know, get out of your whatever it is that's preventing you, your superiority complex or whatever it is to take a more open minded look at China. Um, because, yeah, like, like, I mean, this is a number that's believable to us as we travel around China and we see the government continually hitting home run after home run and improving the lives um, and the, the, the infrastructure, uh, the quality of the country. Um, over this past decade, it may, it makes sense, but yeah, no, it's, yeah. Um, it's in sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, it's just uh, what we should probably mention also is this is a follow-up from the, um, the, the previous report was from the Harvard uh, Ash Institute, yeah, exactly. which, yeah, which, yeah, which put them at, what was it? 94.5 or 95% or something like that. Even, even, even back then, um, this is not coming from internal, you know, CPC. It was 93.1, actually. Uh, yeah. And, and that was interesting, exactly. First, because of this, it's just like now we have a Canadian, York University and Harvard University and things published in Washington Post. So I'm sorry, this is not the survey conducted by the Communist Party of China. Uh, but I think it's also very interesting because you were, you were saying that, oh, Let's try to understand why this is happening. And uh, I remember that the, the report from, from this uh, Harvard uh, University was interesting because they, they had some, some explanations. And at that point, this actually was in between 2003 and 2016. 
So it's like the for the first four years of President Xi Jinping um, mandate, first mandate. Uh, but what was the two main issues? First, uh, poverty alleviation and all the welfare uh, improvement. Second was fight against corruption. That was the two main issues that uh, is making people say, okay, I think this 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 government is increasing our lives, and of course, with the with this last one from from York University and Washington Post is the issue of the the COVID, the fight against COVID. So you have this, as you said, like said, three home runs in a row: fight yep. against corruption, poverty alleviation, eradication of the poverty, uh, extreme poverty in the country, and the big success against COVID. So ninety-eight percent. I mean, <laughs> I remember in Brazil. I don't know if you know that, but after Lula, the second mandate of Lula, because he was president from 2003 to 2010, when he finished his second mandate, he had 87% of approval. That was absolutely in no way in the history of democracy, Western democracies, a president after eight years gets 87% of approval. But guess what? <laughs> China is like 98. It's like, wow. That's not easy to do. And 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 in true American style, they didn't like they didn't like Lula either, did they? <laughs> you know, no. America didn't like, you know, you don't go around flaunting your 80 plus percent approval rating that we could only dream of. No, 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 no. You stop caring about the the the, the little guy so much. But no, it, it is amazing. And I think this is probably one of the reasons why when you look at the new fund from America. Uh, for $300 million per year in basically anti-China propaganda, usually what this involves when trying to destabilize a country or a rival or for whatever other reason is you want to destabilize a country, is you focus on propaganda within that country. You try to get information to the people of that country to undermine their uh, confidence in their own government. And um, and or this is the principle of how sanctions work as well. You sanction a country to make the people suffer um, and then they'll blame their own government, even though this is from external forces and they'll want to rise up against their government. It's difficult to sanction China. They're trying it in Xinjiang. And this is exactly the reason they're doing it. They know that there are so many Uyghurs who have cotton farms who are going to be affected by this. They know. There are so many Uyghurs who are legitimately working in these factories, earning a living. They know there are so many Uyghur women who have been liberated from their status in family by being able to support themselves. And I've heard stories of, you know, for example, uh, you know, when you're in a situation when a, a potentially an abusive husband, for example, knows that you've got no other option. The relationship can deteriorate to uh, immense levels where the woman still has no other option that she can't you know, she can't leave like all of these, you know. These human rights conventions, even recognized by the UN, about per, the need to provide your citizens with an opportunity to work, uh, to, to live with dignity, to be able to walk down the street safely. This is what the U.S. is trying to undermine in Xinjiang with these kinds of, uh, uh, you know, sanctions and things like that. They know they know what it's supposed to to, to do. However, for the rest of China, I don't think you're going to see as much of a focus anymore on trying to convince uh, the general population in, in in general that their government sucks because how can you compete with 98%? How could you even have the audacity to say that when you've got over half a million people in your own country that have died from COVID that you couldn't do anything for? Uh, so 
onto my main point. That's why in the language surrounding the grant for $300 million per year, they're focusing on propaganda overseas. They're focusing on educating other countries about the dangers of the Belt and Road Initiative to try to stop uh, China's progress outside of China. That's their only hope. And they're doing a pretty good job at it. They're doing a pretty good job. They, they, they're very good at convincing other countries that uh, China is, when you really think about it, as evil as America. <laughs> they, don't, they don't word it that way. They don't word it that way. But anyways, they do a pretty good job at that. But uh, how do you compete with 98%? Yeah, I mean, I think you're totally right. Um, I, you know, the line that was, you know, we aren't against the Chinese people, but we're against the Chinese Communist Party doesn't work because the Chinese people overwhelmingly support their their party and their government. But what's interesting that you're saying and focusing on the international is that there was also it's like a week of surveys that was published this week, so we have <laughs> a lot true. of surveys. But um, the Guardian published a global survey, a time serving um, fifty three countries on global democracy. So, you know, again, the Guardian, the Guardian, these Guardian. are big best friends. Of China. Well, they 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 republished it, right? It's a big report. It's a big PDF yeah, report. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but they published it. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. You know, guess which country was seen as the biggest threat to democracy? It's a country that not not the three of us <laughs> will not be surprised at. It, I mean, it, you just. You just started, you just like laid it out perfect for us by showing, whoops, I thought it was China's rockets. No, it isn't. Well, it's that country's <laughs> rockets. Overwhelmingly, <laughs> overwhelmingly, countries see America as a bigger threat to their democracy, including Mexico and Canada. I looked at the report. I saw the report, including Mexico and Canada. Now, you've got some anomalies. You've got some things like, for example, Vietnam. Vietnam sees China as a bigger threat yeah. than uh, uh, than the than the U.S. and, and in some in, in in some aspects, uh, I mean, they're subject to this propaganda push by America. But even aside from that, even not responsible for America, you're more likely to have issues with your neighbors than you are somebody on the other side of the ocean. Um, and th and that's uh, potentially mm -hmm. part of the component with Mexico and Canada seeing America as the bigger threat to their democracy. But overall, when you look at the global picture, overwhelmingly, it leans towards pretty much everybody thinking that America is the bigger threat. And that is, yeah, I mean, there's that. And there's also two issues that people raised in that same survey about what uh, what are the issues that are the biggest threats to democracy. The first being economic inequality. And the second, related to our first story, big tech. Uh, and, and in the US, it's actually the number one concern. Uh, um, so, I mean, when we're talking about looking at China and what it's done, these are pretty much like exactly what Marco had just said. Well, you look at last year, you know, the home runs or big <laughs> victories uh, as taking care of people is end of extreme poverty and then also COVID. But then right now, the big campaign is challenging big tech. So which country, actually, which government in the world is actually addressing on the main concerns that are the biggest for pretty much this planet? And so there's this question when you think it's like, well, what exactly is democracy? Is it this like counting votes every four years at the ballot boxes? Or is it about getting mass support of the vast majority of people and, you know, making sure they survive, making sure they're living better lives and reeling in the, you know, the worst excesses like corruption and big capital, big tech, you know, all those kinds of questions. So kind of takes us back to the question of, you know, why is the Guardian or even the Washington Post interested 
in publishing these stories now. It's a kind of switched in tone, right? Switch, publishing these sort of favorable stories about about China. Um, I mean, one of we've published a series that that Washington Post came out with in February, which is on China Africa stories uh, that they paired with uh, the Cary uh, Institute at John Hopkins, um, where they they look at uh, basically it's debunking myths in Western media, and they even said when they introduced the series why they said. Um, the hardline narrative of U.S. policymakers is wrong and what they call full of inaccuracies. So from alleged debt diplomacy, seize, asset seizures, we've talked about these things, what Huawei, right. various acts. So they're actually interested in now publishing stories to get a more accurate picture. It's like, yeah, you can't just say, you know, the Chinese people are ready to, for regime change. No, we actually have to see how is the Chinese government actually responding to the people. Yeah. Yeah, this is actually very interesting, Daniel, because uh, we've been discussing this uh, last weeks. Um, so why is Washington Post actually doing that? I mean, come on, we know Washington Post is an asset of State Department. This is, I mean, this is everybody knows in U.S. all around. So why, why they now, I mean, in the middle of all this fake news about China, all this like insane attacks about China, is there's a, a newspaper like Washington Post publishing, for instance, like, in details every week, projects of BRI in Africa. How is, I mean, very good for the countries, for the people, development, et cetera, et cetera. Or even this, this um, um, survey now saying, oh, I'm sorry, guys, don't, don't pretend you're going to overthrow the government because 98% of the people support the government. But why Washington Post is doing that? I think this is, uh, I'm going to do like, like you did. I'm throwing my, my here. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, one thing is clear. Biden's not Trump. And we know that. And we'll be also discussing that. They will have different tactics. They, they, they are keeping all the sanctions. They are keeping all the fake news. But they are also doing different things. They are also trying to reestablish their alliances, the European Union with Japan, with Australia, the, the Quad with India, Japan, Australia, all of this. I don't know if you guys saw last week, there was a viral short video of Hillary Clinton speaking in Chatham yeah. House, this sure. big uh, UK imperial think tank, and saying, guys, I'm sorry, China, we are losing. We are losing the competition. We all, oh, we, we, uh, we allow them to come. We made deals with them, but they are not going to be a free market. Therefore, we, not, and, and she almost apologized, we need to subsidize the companies. The state we need to become, nice. need to become a socialist communist. <laughs> exactly, it's like oh, we have to take our means of production, bring back, bring back our means of production. It's almost like a Marxist sentence in in the in the mouth of Hillary Clinton. But this is actually this is not a joke because these people, some of these people in the core uh, of the U.S. government, they know that fake news are not enough. They know that this is what Washington Post is also saying, guys. If you want to make, uh, if you want to win this competition with China, you better move your ass and work harder, because the countries are not just going to listen to fake news when they are seeing bridges and ports and industries all funded by China. And guess what? U.S. are doing zero. Same with the vaccines right now. Why Biden is like, oh, okay, let's suspend the, the patents of the vaccine. Let's do something. Yeah, because China already exported 240 million doses of vaccines to, to the whole planet. So I think this is, they are, they are shifting the tactics. They, 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 some of them know, okay, fake news is not enough. We better do something for the world. 
I don't know if they're going to do, but some movements right. are different in the last in the last I'll, couple. Uh, of I'll throw out a few theories as well. Then uh, I, I don't I don't know what the answer is, but I could throw out a few theories. One, uh, a lot of news agencies are run by um, uh, corporate sponsors in terms of advertising and stuff like that. Uh, there could be some corporate sponsors who want access to the Chinese market and they are increasingly getting access to the Chinese market like Tesla and stuff like, like that, where they because they're the real rulers of America. I mean, you know, politicians and everything. Um, maybe they're saying, OK, let's take a little bit of a softer approach so that we can access Ch the Chinese market because they are opening up more. And we, we you know, there's a lot of money to be made there. That's more of a conspiratorial um, aspect. Maybe something a little bit more realistic is that there's just fatigue. There's anti-China fatigue where it's the same thing that I said about China that I criticized China for in reverse. When China's just saying, oh, we're perfect, nothing's wrong, eventually you get kind of tired of it and it's just like too fake. Well, maybe just crapping on China all the time is just a little bit overboard, especially when some of your journalists have tried so hard to twist positive stories um into negative stories where people are like i'm not really believing this anymore so what they do is they throw their audience a bone once in a while it's the same kind of a thing that people accuse bellingcat of doing you know bellingcat is like a fake version of wikileaks it's like yeah we'll leak we'll leak approved uh, american leaks but then when it's really important when it's issues on you know syrian chemical attack or anything like this then we're going to start slandering the people who really want to push that too much you throw people a bone and you get a little bit more um authenticity that that might be an aspect also. Maybe there's an additional, an even further additional aspect now where it just is too inflammatory. It's too ridiculous. It's too hypocritical to still be criticizing China this much while you're still funding Israel hundreds of millions of dollars uh, to fight back against Palestinian rocks and glorified fireworks. Um, you know, and you're, I, I've been seeing that online where people are, you know, they, they see a new article come out saying that, Xinjiang is essentially an open air prison. And then somebody retweeted it and said, you re you misspelled Gaza, yes. you know, yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and it's like what, while all of this is going on, while American officials are dancing around the language saying, well, you know, it's complicated. Well, let me show you, let me show you how complicated it is. Let me show you, because if somebody takes an issue with me calling uh, Palestinian rockets uh, glorified fireworks, well, let me show you a chart from the 2014 conflict here. Let's take a look at this. These are the numbers from the 2014 conflict. Wow. Um, Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, civilians killed for, uh, by uh, the in, in Gaza versus uh, Israel due to uh, aggressions from the um, from the Palestinian side. I mean, this paints a pretty clear picture. Now, uh, one thing I need to mention is I think that Bernie Sanders used the 550 children killed number and Israel got really upset at that and demanded an apology. I'm not sure if it was satirical news, but uh, apparently the Israeli numbers, I think they really did take an issue with this 550 number. They said it was overstated by 12 deaths. So they had a really big, uh, they had a really big issue with that. Uh, like, you need to revise that. We didn't kill 550 kids. It's 12 more than we actually killed. It's like, uh, there, there's a, a, a when you're continuing to push this story, uh, this illusion that you care about Muslims in China and all of this stuff that you can't prove is happening while actual things are happening. 
in a in a region that you're funding these atrocities for i think maybe maybe there's some people saying okay this is this is too embarrassing maybe we got to Maybe we got to lay off a little bit and add a little bit more balance here. We won't necessarily go hard against Israel because it's an important ally to the U.S., but maybe we just got to like tone down on the hypocrisy a little bit. Those are my three uh, theories I'll put out there. Again, we we, <laughs> we can only guess here. Yeah, I mean, I I I think uh, even like the, all this Bidenomics thing, all the the the, the new uh, uh, measures and like six trillion U.S. dollars is proposing. I mean, he knows. I mean, you can compete with China if your own country is absolutely divided. People are poor. There's no jobs. There's no infrastructure. There's no capacity of production. I mean, right now, China is is responsible for 28% of the industrial production of the world. U.S. is just 18. So this is a big gap. If they don't, if they don't uh, fill this gap, I mean, I'm sorry. You can throw a lot of fake news. That's not gonna work. So I think this is this is clear. There's something uh, going on in in. And, 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 I don't, and yeah, and and with with that much production, with that much of the world's production happening, they still manage to keep a lower per capita uh, per capita uh, emissions, uh, you know, pollution here than uh, a lot of the other places who are virtue virtue signaling China about environmental issues as well. <laughs> which is yeah, pretty important to uh, note as well. The world's factory is still managing to do better per capita. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, we're, we're approaching the one hour. We usually try to cut it off at this point, but did you have any, any other stories that you wanted to? You're good? No, we're pretty covered. Yeah. All right. All right. That's cool. I think, uh, yeah, that's good. It's good to be back. We'll try to do this. I'm, I'm supposed to be going to Xinjiang again, so we'll see if uh, this gets later. Yeah, yeah, we'll see if this gets delayed or not. But uh, hopefully, we'll we'll be back on our uh, once per week schedule here, um, as long as uh, a I'm not in Xinjiang or b you're not you guys aren't on a beach uh, sipping pina colada again. Um, <laughs> that that was that did delay us uh, for one week there. Um, it's true. It's, true. it's also our con. It's, it's a worthy cause. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say anything about that. Uh, <laughs> and you were working in Xinjiang. We are. We are just not working in in Hailing. Yeah, right. you usually mix your trips together, though. You you know you got a little bit of work, a little bit of that. Yeah, but yeah, no, that's cool. All right, guys. Well, you know, thanks for joining, uh, and Thank thanks you. everybody else for tuning in. Uh, again, we'll probably turn this one into a podcast episode, and uh, we we'll probably see you guys next week. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye. Take care.